Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Roth. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 16, Back on Track. We had a lot of information in this episode. We heard the 30,000-foot view of the case. We heard Christian's police interview. We heard Bob's interview with Sam Gare. And we also heard Bob break down Bodmer's drive test. So right after this break, we're going to get into all of that. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You've seen the film. You know the game. Now, Jumanji just got real. Only at Jessington World of Adventures. Featuring Daredevil Dad, Mom on a Mission, and the kids who can't wait to ride the world's first Jumanji roller coaster. An epic adventure awaits. World of Jumanji. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Book this summer's must-do day out at Chessington.com. Alrighty, for those of you who just heard that stellar intro from the one and only Zach Weaver, uh, you should know that was uh, that was a real labor of love. It, it took Zach 26 minutes to get that intro out, uh, and I think the final product is great. Kelly it came out really good. Kelly always helps me out. I just sometimes I get giggling and I can't help myself. <laughs> it was a, uh, but if you notice Zach giggling at the end of that, that's uh, that's why it didn't actually take 90 seconds to do that intro. It took a little longer than that. Uh, but thank you all for joining us. Uh, I, I, I'm here, obviously, in the studio. Z- and uh, Janet is uh, here via Zoom. Um, got a little housekeeping before we get going with all of the questions for this week's episode. Um, so, uh, first of all, this next week, starting, so you're hearing this Friday, on Sunday and the follow-up next week, you're not going to hear Truth and Justice. Instead, you're going to hear Truth and Just Us. That's right. Uh, I am going to be on assignment next week. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving for my assignment on Saturday morning, and I won't be getting back to the following Friday. Was going to be was scheduled to be just a week off, uh, but Jack and Jack and Zanet. Uh, <laughs> Jack That's and Zanet. so much better than Janet and Zap. Jack and Zanet is great. It's solid, yeah. Uh, This is going to be a horrible (laughs) follow-up. They were actually super excited about me being on assignment this week, and 
and have decided that they are going to do both episodes completely a la mode Bob. Uh, <laughs> I think you mean sans Bob. Sans, sans Bob. Bob. Yes. Uh, yeah. So without me, I have nothing to do with this. Um, so Janet, as you guys may or may not know, is good friends with Dr. Shiloh from the LA Not So Confidential podcast. And many of you were saying you wanted uh, Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott to come on and uh, do an analysis of Javier's interview like they did with Roberts. Uh, so Janet has taken the wheel on that and has made some some schedules line up. And Janet and Zach are going to be interviewing Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott this week for this week's main episode. And then next week, as my assignment continues, they will be doing the follow-up. Sans Bob next week also uh, because there will be no internet on my assignment, so I won't be able to uh, join in. So this next week is going to be truth and just us, that I'm not part of the us. Yeah, without Bob Ruff. Yeah, without Bob Ruff. Maybe some, Maybe maybe you could make a new logo for next week. I'll try my best. Um, so <laughs> that's that's all coming up. Uh, one thing you guys need to know next, I think everything we've got squared away, everything is going to be normal. Uh, on the follow-up for questions next week, be looking for a post from Zach rather than me on the fan page for to submit questions for the follow-up. Also, uh, we tried to figure out a few different ways to make it work and ultimately decided there will just not be a YouTube Live next week. So for all of you that are in the YouTube Live right now, uh, that come in every week, and that audience is growing more and more every week, so we appreciate you guys all being there. Uh, next week, there will be no YouTube Live. Other than that, everything should be normal sans Bob. Great. Yeah. I'm, I have to say quickly, you know, if you have been a longtime listener of Bob's, you know that he is fastidious and that he wants to do it the way he wants to do it because he is a successful type A person. And we are both terrified and very flattered that he has decided to let us take the keys for a second. But we're really excited because everybody, I think, is, is going to be really interested to hear what Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh have to say. And they're professionals. So we shouldn't have to do too much I think they're going to save the podcast while you're on assignment. I'm glad you said it because I have to agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) I have full confidence, but it really is. I mean, I have full trust in both of you guys uh, and Kelly to fix everything that you screw up. Um, (laughs) But no, it is. It's tough for me. I have such a control freak. I've never done that. And you guys last week suggested doing this. And so I had to do a lot of self-talk and self-reflection and know that you're probably better at this job than I am. Uh, you're certainly capable of making a podcast without me being in the room. So there, there you go. We'll find out if that's true. Some advice from Teresa. Make sure your phone pings somewhere in case you need an alibi. Oh, very smart. Yeah, it, I'll make sure it pings in the state that I'm going to be in. I'm gonna, oh, I think I, our, my assignment is in, uh, is in Montana. So I'm going to – I'll make sure that I get a ping in Missoula before I disappear into no cell service. Perfect. And then another ping when I come back to Missoula. Great. And hopefully nothing happens in between there. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I don't think we have any other housekeeping. We've got a bunch of questions from listeners about this week's episode. I want to hear uh, your guys' thoughts. Well, I'll start with Zach. Zach, what did you think about the interview or this episode? We did. We covered a lot of ground. You know, so first off, I'm really happy that you did kind of bring up that 30,000-foot view. I felt like I really needed that reminder of kind of how this process works. And I, and I think a lot of listeners did, too. So I'm I'm happy you did that for all of us. And, and there was uh, really, this episode was a lot. You had several topics to kind of break down. 
Uh, Christian's police interview was a big one for me. Um, there were some things in there that I kind of led. That, I mean, you alluded to it that he's or he's either a phenomenal liar or he has no clue what's happening. Right. And, and so I, I'm really happy that we got into that. I know that that was kind of an issue. You weren't able to actually play the interview. I don't have the interview. A couple people were asking. Like, okay. I, I don't have an a, a playable audio file, and that was kind of the delay there. Um, so all I have is the transcript also. Hmm. So so hearing that transcript and kind of hearing him talk about a few different things, and I think there's some questions about it, so I won't go in too deep, but I was really happy to hear that. And I know that there was another thing that I wanted to bring up that I actually saw that wasn't in the episode, but a listener posted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, listener Kristen Hunter made a post about Becky's risk factors. Mm-hmm. You know, we've kind of discussed the idea of why Becky is kind of alluded to as the primary person instead of John or Vicky. And we've always kind of like bounced around saying, well, we don't really know. But but this post, uh, Kristen's post really broke down. I mean, she had 11 solid points mm-hmm. saying all these different risk factors that really kind of does bring me back to maybe Becky really is the. Yeah, it's so hard to say at this point. And a lot of the, I've seen not a lot, but I've seen some feedback where people saying, well, I don't think that Becky was the target. So, mm-hmm. you know, let's move on. But, you know, as I mentioned in this week's episode, like we we can't. There's all this information, there's all this investigative work and all these interviews and everything from the teenage kind of circle of friends surrounding Becky. Like, even if we think, the thing is we don't know, right? So even if we think, say, Vicky was the target, well, that doesn't mean because we think that, that we can just to do a proper investigation. We just go, okay, well, then we'll, let's just clear and ignore all of the all of the teenage suspects or that, that mm-hmm. circle of friends. Like, these are, as I mentioned in the episode. It's part of the process. We have to go through it. If for no other reason to clear them. But I think each week, at least for me, we're getting a clearer picture of what was going on, much more clear than we had when we began. You know, after reading the post, I I cannot say that Becky is the target, but I can understand why police went that way. And and Janet had a really good breakdown in our Patreon before this Mm -hmm. about how how we can honestly see why the police kind of went this direction. Yeah. Because of all these risk factors. Yeah. And she had so much more exposure. There was somewhere where she was out and about, you know, as you, I'll, well, I'll let you articulate that, Janet, how you how you'd said it. But, you know, she had a lot more exposure for them to work with. Right. Well, too, and I think you mentioned this in the Patreon, too, Bob, is that, you know, like you said, we're getting information about John and Vicky that at this point we don't seem to have gotten from the cops from elsewhere. Maybe that will is forthcoming. But because we're on Becky, we're still getting these they're sort of getting sort of some big picture stuff, just hearing from her friends about the lifestyle that John and Vicky led from their pr- perspective. And so mm-hmm. we're still getting little tidbits here and there. Yeah, that's a really good point. We also have someone like Jim Clemente saying, boy, I, I sure see why the, the police focused on Becky. She very well could be the target. So we, right. it's still so ambiguous. And that's why we I think we're all very proud of ourselves for not using the term bifurcated um, the last uh, one or two follow ups. But here, bring you back up again. Um, you know, you 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 said, you know, while the crime scene may suggest one thing, there's still so many questions and, you know, nobody's kind of come to a hard and fast decision about that. So into it we go continually. Yeah. And and you make a really good point that through this process, we are learning little things like if you're paying attention you know, like Javier saying, and we're going to talk about this a little bit from a listener question coming up, but like Javier saying, oh, Vicky was always down on a computer playing a computer game. And we've heard about John sometimes smoking pot in the garage with the kid. Like we're getting information about John and Vicky because all we have from John and Vicky are from John's ex-wife 
and you know his coworkers that you know gave us kind of a their view of what their lives looked like and we don't have a whole lot of other information yeah. so didn't Javi even say like Vicky didn't even go down to the store like Becky would be need to be the one who would pick something up while she was down there you know those little yeah. things are getting dropped in mm-hmm. yeah so that be did you have anything about the episode in particular you wanted to talk about before we get into listener questions no, I agree with everything Zach said, and and we I think we have a really great listener comment to kind of kick things off that supports what you were saying, Zach, about getting that thirty thousand or twenty thousand foot view. It's from Emily, uh, who says, "Not a question, but feedback." In caps, thank you for including a summary of the full case at the beginning of the episode. I'm not a new listener; I've been listening since the Serial Dynasty days, so I know how the investigations work. But I admit that this season I've been feeling very engaged, yet also a little lost. I've not read any articles or seen any TV specials about the case. I really appreciate the overview and now have even more questions about how these guys were convicted because nothing is adding up. I look forward to hearing more details about how the trial played out. Um, And I felt the same, you know. I loved hearing, you know, in past seasons, you have kind of given a little bit more of a a, an overview at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, and and I. I didn't know I was missing it until we got it in this episode, but then I re- I really loved having that that full picture. So I thought it was terrific. I'm really glad you did, and I'm glad the listener suggested it. Yeah, and, and several did, and I, I'm so th- that was like an editorial choice that I made, a production choice that I made years ago, like going back all the way to the West Memphis Three season, season five, where we used to start. I used to start the season with this is a story about this person who was wrongfully convicted, when in fact we hadn't really investigated yet. And I got to I got to a point where I was like, I feel like this, you know, maybe that lets some bias creep in with me. Maybe it lets it creep in with some of the listeners. So instead, let's look at this as an investigation where we just wipe everything out, start from the very beginning and do an investigation and see where it lands and see if it lands at the same place the police got there. But I forget sometimes, you know, as I'm engrossed in, you know, 50, 60 hours a week working, investigating all these angles that as a listener, it can be frustrating because you don't know what is happening and where we're going. So that was, um, hopefully you guys, you know, I, I am listening to feedback. Sometimes it's always hard to please everybody, but that was one that there were enough people that said, Hey, yeah, this is getting a little confusing, but I thought it was worth addressing. So I'm glad that it helped. There's one thing I want to bring up in the, that you talked about in the overview that we don't have to talk about a lot today, but is the idea of that informant. I didn't realize that there was an informant that that happened to work with Robert and Christian. Oh, yeah, that was a total shock to me. Yeah, I had no clue. And it sounds like they tried to break down this credibility. And there's a lot of questions I have about that. I know that's not the purpose of today's episode. Yeah. But that's one thing that struck me out of this episode that I didn't realize. Yeah, there's there, we're going to do a whole episode on Jeremy Witt. Um, and so the basics of it, to be honest, I don't even know for sure if he worked with Robert and Christian he definitely worked at the park and he worked there after they were gone with like friends of theirs that still worked there. And it was, it, it was like his testimony was something to the extent of overheard somebody talking about something that Robert or Christian had said. I said, it was a lot of that kind of softball girls from the West Memphis yeah. three type of deal, but the whole process with him, I mean, this is like years later, there's an anonymous, there's an anonymous call to police. They don't know who it is. And then they end up like talking to this guy, Jeremy Witt, about something else and discover because they recognized his voice or something that, oh, he, to be honest with you, I think there's a chance that it wasn't even him that made the anonymous call that they just were like, well, here, now we have a a real human we can put on the stand. So now you be him. And then when they get to trial, the, the biggest shit show at trial was he testified, I think it was for the grand jury, which is, you know, there's no cross examination. There's none of that. 
And then at trial, they don't put him, somehow they managed to not put him on the stand at trial, but just read in his testimony. So there was never any cross examination. So they, there was, and wow. his credibility was pretty easy to attack. Mm-hmm. But the defense, the only way they could do that is by putting on other witnesses that knew him to tell some stories about him. Hmm. Uh, off topic yet. Now I have this question based on what you just said. Was there ever a crime stoppers? Was there a reward? Was there any sort of point at which there was a reward being offered for information leading to an arrest or anything? Oh, that's a simple question that I should know the answer to. And I did at one point. I, 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 I'm 90% sure. Yeah, there was a reward. I'm not right off the top of my head as you kind of threw me for a loop there. I'm, I don't remember particularly if it was crime stoppers or if there was one or, cause I, I feel like I remember like looking into if Jeremy Witt got a, a reward and not being able to find that out. But, um, I will, I guess my question, my answer to that for right now is I don't know. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. Fair enough. I, I'm curious to see what he has to say that implicates them. That's really what I want to know. So I yeah. want to keep that noted to myself moving forward. You know, what was that again? That I want to, I want to know what he says that implicates them. Yeah, it was. So, so I'm, I like, like I said, I want to put a pin in that. Yeah, because we're myself. we're going to dig deeply into it. But essentially, that's what it was. Was he overheard a conversation with someone that knew Robert and Christian, mm-hmm. and overheard them say something that Robert or Christian told them that it it was it was something like that. It was like double hearsay. And YouTube is telling us right now that there was a reward. Exactly right. Yeah, hundred thousand dollar reward. I think it was a fifth. Well, yeah, that's 50, right. Because there was the billboards. Yeah, there Teresa was billboards put up. Yeah, what sorry, I just had a complete and there was one brain fart 000. on that. Okay, great. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Wonderful. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. Uh, you guys good to move on uh, to another listener question? Yeah. Okay. For some of you, this may be a familiar name. Shout out to Ginger Fiola who uh, says, I find it odd that Robert, who was interviewed on night, this is pertaining to Christian's interview. I find it odd that Robert, who was interviewed on 918, says Javi told him a female was found in a wheelbarrow. And then Christian, who was interviewed 10 days later and says one of them was left in a dumpster or something. Surely it would have been out at this point that it was a wheelbarrow or Robert would have told him. Sounds like Christian is trying to be vague and not share what he actually knows. Well, that comes down to... It's it's one of one of two things. One school of thought is these guys are pretty criminally sophisticated and, and have thought I'm going to intentionally get some details wrong when I talk to the police to try to throw them off course. I don't particularly subscribe to that with any of these teenagers doing that. Or another view of that is that this was very 
the details that Christian didn't know the details of it and the t- the tie in between him and Robert together supposedly being a part of this it sort of breaks that apart doesn't it because it seems like whatever the conversation was so Robert hears from Javier about the body in the wheelbarrow he relays that to Christian and then Christian doesn't like he's so disconnected from it that he doesn't remember that it was a wheelbarrow that it was something you know there was there was something it was a wheelbarrow it was a dumpster whatever it was so the the way I read it, if you take it at face value, was that this you know the information. It's a game of telephone. It goes from Javier to Robert, from Robert to Christian. Christian, who's not doesn't really know Becky that well, has never been up there. If he didn't have anything to do with this, didn't commit the particulars of it being a wheelbarrow to his memory. It just seems to me, on face value, as though it just wasn't that that wasn't an important detail to him. He wasn't really paying attention to it, but. The other side of that would be if he was just very smartly throwing in a little thing in there that that you know he gives all this accurate information, but that one detail he doesn't know and gets wrong. Well, Valeria also just mentioned in the chat. Well, she did mention because I thought about this too um, when I read this question. Uh, that didn't the police officer say like, "Wait, where'd you hear that wheelbarrow thing? Well, I don't want you like don't go talking about that wheelbarrow thing. That's right. not a, you know what I mean." Which you know I know everybody talks, but. If there's one thing that actually probably would keep me quiet, it would be I'm being what feels like interrogated by a cop and they tell me not to talk about the wheelbarrow. I probably genuinely wouldn't talk about the wheelbarrow because I'd be like, I don't want to get on this guy's worst side. So that's right. a possibility. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because that was that whole conversation at the end where he says, you know, some of this is rumor. And that's where we hear Robert in the background from what I'm here. What I heard was was him saying, wait, so was the wheelbarrow? Was that not part not true? Did that was that not accurate? That whole piece of it. So, yeah, there's a good point. He was told not to say anything with the wheelbarrow. What were you about to say, Zach? Well, what I was going to say, and I'm not trying to defend Christian, is is there are times that people just make mistakes talking. You yeah. don't you don't understand how many mistakes are, like I just said, you don't understand how <laughs> yeah. many mistakes are made just in a normal conversation until yeah. you see it transcribed or until mm-hmm. you hear sure. it recorded. Great point. There's so many times that like you and I would be talking and I will say something that's completely wrong, uh-huh. but you take it right. Because you understand where I'm going. But if you were to see it transcribed, it wouldn't make any sense. Right. So while I'm not trying to defend Christian, that could just be an an honest mistake that he said dumpster or, you know what I mean? Thinking wheelbarrow or thinking. Yeah. Well, just the way he said it, you know, he said, he said that one of the bodies was like in a dumpster or something, I think Mm -hmm. is how he, how he put it. Like I said, I, again, certainly there is a, there is a, a much more nefarious analysis of that. If it's, you know, well, he's, he's he's very sneakily acting like he doesn't know something that he really knows. But, like, if I was just reading that on fa- at face value, reading through, it's like, okay, that tells me that this was not significant to Christian. The fact that the murders happened and all that, but, like, a detail, like, where a body was, wasn't important to him because he just didn't, you know, it didn't matter to him, it, 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 those details. And... It makes sense in that like game of telephone that as it gets passed, you know, from from someone to Javier, from Javier to Robert, from Robert to Christian, and then Christian to the cop. That somehow the details of it get mixed up would be a would to me is a on its face is an indicator that Robert that, that Christian doesn't know what happened. And we already heard in my, I'll say this: they both would have to be pretty damn good liars and actors to pull this off. Like like Robert's reaction when we pulled up and listened to that audio of the conversation about the wheelbarrow when he's asking the cop, wait, was that, so that's not true. There wasn't, it really wasn't 
I bu- I'll say that. I'll, I, I will say it. I believed him. I, the, I bought that. It seemed to me that Robert genuinely didn't know that detail. Uh, and when I read this with Christian, it seemed to me that he genuinely didn't know that detail. And it makes sense to me why he wouldn't if he wasn't involved. Right. But I, I'm not, I'm not going to throw away the idea that both of them could be really smart and sophi- criminally sophisticated and know that if I just throw in this one little wrong detail, then maybe that'll help me. Right. Um, just a quick shout out to Montana uh, in the chat who says, at some point, I'd love to hear an assessment on why the investigation was bungled so badly. We aren't dealing with police indifference to a victim of color. So why were they less than thorough? I think that's a great that could be a whole episode right down the line after we've really yeah. when we've wrapped up everything that the police covered to just kind of do, you know, a revisit of here's what could have been looked at. Here's what wasn't. And, you know, how did this all go down? Yeah. And I, th- I think that at least where we're at right now, what it seems to me is it's just a, a case of tunnel vision that I, I think there was, you know, it's a it's a weird scene. I hesitate. I know I'm hard on cops a lot of times when they do a bad job, but I hesitate to even use the word incompetence. But they did not do a good job of documenting this crime scene. But it's also a very odd, strange, one of a kind scene. So incompetence even seems strong there. But I think from the beginning, they made some missteps. And okay. then because Becky was in the wheelbarrow, I think that they assume, okay, well, she's the target. Because if you look, they did a very thorough job of looking into her whole circle of friends, you know, they, they're, they're, but the entire focus in the, in, but they didn't talk to anyone at her work. Yeah. I was going to say one big mistake was they didn't talk to anybody at her work, which is insane that they didn't do that. So that was definitely a mistake, but they talked to all these friends. Yeah. They made some, well, they made the missteps at the beginning. Oh, and I was going to say is one of the reasons that I thought this case was a, was a good case to take because you see these, you know, you know, a hundred hours or whatever of interviews with all these people all surrounding Becky and all of the investigation is, is based around Becky being the main victim. And they couldn't, you know, they, they managed to get an arrest 10 years later on an incredibly weak case. One of my first thoughts was, well, they probably were focused on the wrong person. Hmm. If they had, you know, maybe if you put that much effort into one victim, You'd think pretty quickly would you know a a suspect would arise out of that if you're doing a mm-hmm. thorough job, but mm-hmm. because they weren't looking into and it's nothing people are like oh, we want to talk more about John and Vicky invest that's tough to do because the police didn't do that right so we don't have that in the file so we're trying to p- parse out things from these other interviews to give us direction to go for John and Vicky but yeah that was just one of the things that got me was like well if, if all the effort was put into Becky as the target led to a ten year cold case. Maybe Becky wasn't the target. Yeah. And Montana just reminds us as well um, about the all of those contents of uh, Becky's car, where if they were so focused on her, the fact that most of that wasn't even admitted into evidence is not a good And that's, and that's what I mean by the stuff. missteps at the yep. beginning, like, like yep. where they should have been gathering evidence and things. They, they left stuff they should have taken. They didn't document things well. Not documenting the path from the house to the, to the body. Not, you know, they, they should have. Once it was pretty obvious the house was burned down and the police, you know, the, the house was not savable, it should have been blocked off, only critical personnel in there, and they should have been taking photos of every inch of that ground around there once the yeah. crime scene had moved outside, and they didn't do that. Let's go on to Amanda's question. Uh, she says, do we have any interviews with the employee of the gas station or videos? I'd be very surprised if two teens who just murdered three people walked into a gas station immediately after and acted totally normal. 
not to mention their clothes would likely be dirty, smell of gas, smoke, etc. Yeah, uh, no, they didn't. Um, they, I, I believe they eventually went to the gas station and wanted to get security footage, but it was like two weeks later after Robert told them. Remember, Robert tells them that next day at around this time, you know, after we left and, and we left playing paintball or whatever, we went to the AMPM. Christian got gas, I got chapstick, and then we left. So he tell, and it tells me like they weren't, I don't think they were so, fo- I think they were really looking at Javier more at the beginning than Robert. I think, I, I don't know, because I don't know, like they should have, that the next step should have been, okay, right now I'm going to go to that gas station and see if I can verify that. So we'll have a, some hard timestamp on something so we know right. where you were, when you were there, and what direction you came from. And when they got there, there were there were security cameras. There was footage, but it was like after a week they tape over them or they're deleted, and so they had, it, it was too late. They missed all the security footage. Okay, uh, Rebecca also says, "Wouldn't they smell like smoke or gasoline?" No one reports any unusual odor. The timeline is very tight to account for a change of clothes. That's hard to say. Yeah, you know, we always think of these crimes because I've heard, and I think the previous question too said they would be really dirty, and it's like it's not necessarily true. If especially if what happened is what I think happened, which is the attacks take place inside the house. Becky is either upstairs or walks in and interrupts them. You know, the, the outside space was just literally like if she they chased her out to where to the wheelbarrow, killer put her in the wheelbarrow. They're not getting dirty. As far as the gasoline and smoke, you wouldn't really smell like gasoline unless you spilled gasoline on yourself while you were doing it. You know, and, the, and as far as the smoke goes, you know, if you're just you pour a pile of gasoline and flip a match at it from a distance and and back out of the house, I just. I don't think necessarily they're going to be like covered in soot and smoke and gas and dirty. I don't. I, I don't know that that's the case. Hmm. Uh, okay. It could have been. They, they could have smelled like gas. I particularly am not able to put gas into anything ever out of a can without getting gas all over my shoes and clothing. I can't pump gas at the gas station without getting gas on myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. the other thing that I think about along those lines too is is you have to be you have to be very unusual for somebody to remember some of that. Like if they just come in a little dirty, I don't feel like that's something that's going to stand out in someone's notice. head. Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. you have to be unusually dirty for them to notice. But with you know you've got like Christian went after he dropped Robert off, went to Jackie his girlfriend's house, mm-hmm. and she's been interviewed. I've interviewed her, and the, the, no, it didn't did seem dirty, upset, disheveled smell bad none of that it was just a normal night as far as she knew well and he does talk about taking a shower before he goes before going over there right but if they're going to play paintball they could be dirty too yeah or he was all of those things and the girlfriend's covering for him i mean i'm sure that's what the cops you know that's what you tell yourself if you like well i'm saying that he took a shower and change kind of negates all that anyway right yeah sarah says is there any uh outside testimony that robert and christian were together that night and what vehicle they were using no, so that's interesting because there's, as far as I know, there's not. I, th- I think Robert's mom, I, I don't know that she was interviewed by police, but she saw them that night. She's the one that said he needed to go, Robert needed to go to mass, knew they were together, his cousin when he was spoken. But no, there really isn't. Like they didn't, it was just Robert saying he was with Christian, Christian saying he was with Robert. The mom, you know, Robert's mom knew they were together, they were, they were together. But no, there's not a lot of like other like really solid sources saying, yeah, these two were together. You see their cell phones moving in about the same direction in the same areas uh, for at least part of the night. 
you know, before you know, that around between six and seven o'clock, seven, seven thirty time. But no, there's really not. Yeah. Aaron says, maybe I missed this before, but what was the law or reasoning behind Robert and Christian's team not being able to present any evidence at trial pointing towards the possibility of other suspects being responsible? You know, I don't know. I need to have when when we get to the trial part, I, I need to have like a, a lawyer analyze that. I know that I've interviewed Christian's trial attorney. And, you know, that was one of the things that he was the most upset about was, you know, and I'd asked him, you know, what would you have done differently? And he said, I would have, I would have appealed that decision up to a higher, something to the extent of, I would have appealed it up to a higher court before allowing the trial to happen because he did not think that that was reasonable. Uh, yeah. Because it was just essentially, from what I understand, they said, you know, that the, none of these people are really suspects. They all have have been cleared by police and therefore you're not going to raise them as suspects in front of the jury, which right. really cut their legs out from it. So mm-hmm. it, it's like trying to fight air, trying to prove a negative. Like the the police are saying you did this based on an extremely flimsy case. And so, you know, a good defense is like, look, if you think this makes me look, you know, Oh, my phone was off during the time of the murder. Well, so was her ex-boyfriend, right? His phone was off at the time of the murder and she had just broke up with him. And his roommate got into a physical altercation with her 24 hours before this happened. You know, how is that different than me? But they weren't allowed to say any of that. Yeah, I feel like I could listen to a whole, uh, like a series of episodes, like a mini season about how arbitrary it often seems in different trials when judges make the decision that you can or cannot argue alternate suspects, because Mm -hmm. I don't know enough about the law to know why those things get picked at and chosen. But it feels sometimes when I hear about, because I've heard about both often enough, that I'm like, gosh, it seems like the judge is just in the mood to accept that or not. Like, it doesn't seem like there's necessarily a hard and fast rule at all when a judge says, "Mm, no, I've decided that you can't present any alternate suspects. I don't know. It's very interesting. And it seems so prejudicial sometimes. It's it's hard because it just handcuffs the defense, especially in a very weak circumstantial case because it's a great defense. It, like, you know, I just gave that example, but you know, if I were saying, well, we think Zach did this and here's these two or three weak reasons why we think he did. And you should convict on that. It's a pretty good defense. Say, well, if it only takes two or three weak reasons, here's two or three weak reasons why he could have done it. And here's two or three weak reasons why they could have done it. So why is it him and not them? Yeah. You know, it, it certainly would raise reasonable doubt. You would think. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Valeria says, hi, Valeria, I know you're here too, but here is a previous question from Valeria. A consideration about the supposed discrepancy on the car that Christian was driving that mm. night. Robert was uh, was asked what car Christian drives, and the way he started answering was, well, he himself drives a hearse, Oldsmobile, um, Hertz, we, the whole conversation about being mistaken for a hearse. Uh, and then it sounds like he may be starting to say, but... And at that point, LeClaire interrupted him and they never went back to clarifying. So maybe the two men were asked a different question, like what kind of car does he drive versus what was he driving that night? That was a great catch by Valeria. Uh, I saw that that question in that post um, and, some, and some other listeners were discussing it and said the same thing. And I think I even mentioned the episode I, as I was writing it, I thought I need to go back because there was that confusing, weird conversation about the Oldsmobile. But after she posted that, I went and looked at the transcript and she's right. And, and and listen to him. He doesn't say what was Christian driving that night. He says, "Well, what does Christian drive?" And he's like, "Well, he has this Oldsmobile Hertz, and it does." It sounds like he's about to say, "But," and then the cop interrupts him, 
they have this weird conversation where there is it a hearse or a hertz or whatever, and then he moves on to another question and never comes back to it. So so Robert, not just it seems like, but Robert technically never did say that Christian was driving his Oldsmobile that night. He never said that. So I was incorrect in saying that it was a discrepancy. It's not. He was only asked what Christian drives. He said he has the Oldsmobile, got interrupted, and then the questions moved on. He never did say that he was driving an Olds that night. That's a great catch. Great catch. Great catch. Uh, Keisha says, could Robert have been lying to Christian about going to Mass so he could go on the hike with Becky without Christian or Sarah finding out? But that backfired when Christian offered to go to Mass with Robert. Uh, hike would have been a no-go then. Yeah, I, it's, a, it's a good point. Uh, another listener, Richard, raised it and made a post about it on the fan page also. Uh, essentially saying that Robert won, wanted to go on this hike with with Becky, and then Christian says, hey, let's hang out and do paintball. And he's like, oh, I would, but I have to go to Mass first, trying to blow Christian off. Mm-hmm. And then Christian's like, oh, I'll go with you. And he's like, oh, I guess I'm not going hiking because yeah. I'm going with Christian. It's certainly a possibility, but it compelling. doesn't – yeah, it doesn't sound like that to me but just based on what – I've heard from people who knew Robert, Robert's mother, even what we hear from Christian, that mass really was going to mass on Sunday really was a big deal to Robert. I think it was, it might have been more to appease his mom, but that was like he, you know, he would try to get his boss to, you know, change his schedule so we could go in the morning. If not, he would go after he got home or whatever. So it, it seemed like something that he really did plan on doing. I also point out that in either, in either one of those scenarios, it really it really shoots the in order for for to for Robert to have instead planned to go hiking with Becky, we have to think that either he was never planning on going to mass like this, but then had to because of Christian, and then he thought to if 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 what him and Christian did was get in the car and say, "All right, well, let's go up to Becky's because it's already seven o'clock, right." Instead, they they thought to well, let me call four one one, so it's on my records to get the Sacred Heart phone number, and then actually call Sacred Heart to verify when the mass is. Before you know what I mean, if that if the intention was just to go up to Becky's the whole time, they were like taking these steps to throw a kink into things because otherwise, what he was hoping was there was a seven thirty mass, which then gets over at eight thirty, which means he couldn't be up to the mountain until nine thirty, which would be. By the time she's already going to work. Right. So, like, the idea of him going to mask means he's not going – if Robert's going to mask, he's not going on that hike. Right. So why does he take the steps to make the phone calls to the mask? You know, it's just – it's something to think – and I know people have other alternate explanations for that, and maybe I'm giving them too much credit. But when I'm seeing it, I'm seeing, like, he planned to go they, – they, they weren't – creating a cell phone record thinking someone's going to look at their records later they were just planning to go to mass that's why he called yeah i didn't <clears throat> i didn't read that as i that didn't occur to me that that these points were calling to challenge them planning to go to becky's and then creating some sort of false narrative about the mass i i guess i hadn't thought through it that much yeah but i yeah i guess that makes sense yeah and the point of that question was not necessarily what i said it was it was just that Robert himself wanted because I definitely get the impression through that interview. The impression that I've got of this, of this whole situation, is that Robert is more interested in reconnecting with Becky than he wants anyone to know. And I think that, and we talked a little bit about that with Dr. Shiloh and Scott, where he gets uncomfortable. The times where he gets uncomfortable were about 
his contact with Becky and yeah. stuff like that. Not about that night where he was going that night, but about his contact with Becky. And it's, I think, and this is just my personal view on it, is based on what I've read, that he was definitely more interested in talking to Becky than he's letting on. He didn't want Christian, and he didn't want Christian to know that. Because Christian seems, like, Christian seems genuine to me, at least reading a transcript. I wish I could hear the audio, but... It's, he seems very genuine to me in the fact that Robert didn't want to go on that hike and we blew it off. And Robert told me not, you know, he didn't say he told me not to answer the phone, but, mm-hmm. you know, I knew he didn't answer the phone because Becky wanted to talk about that hike. But then we see the phone records and it's not like Becky's harassing Robert. He's calling her. He contacts her first. He's, he's calling her just as much as she's calling him. And so I, I think that that's what, personally what, that's what was going on is that, that Robert was secretly trying to reconnect some way or another with Becky and didn't want anybody to know that, whether it's because he had a girlfriend or just because, you know, of whatever their relationship history was, doesn't want anybody to know that. But that, what did you guys think about that? Am I, do you think I'm off base on no. that? Do you have a different read? I'm, oh, well, Zach, do you want to go first? Cause I feel like I'm over talking. Well, I, you know, I read those listener posts and I, and I kind of had to agree with them that I think that maybe there's something there that he could have been trying to play both sides of the fence, as you said, and said he was, you know, trying to tell Christian he was going to this mass instead, you know, trying to get Christian to kind of blow off. But it does seem like he's still pretty interested in Becky. I don't know why that would allude to him killing her, but right. I, I still think he's pretty interested. I agree. And I think, you know, it's it's very fair for, <laughs> and this kind of goes, again, I'm so often reminded of Adnan and, and poor Hay, but this idea of like, if it just so happens that they had not been in touch for months and if it just so happens that he called her out of the blue and if it just so happens she wanted him to go on a hike and that ended up being the night she died, they're very unlucky. Robert is very unlucky. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. that's not exactly what happened. Um, it's very right. interesting to me that with all of those circumstances, it's still the case they didn't make a move on Robert and Christian earlier. That I think is very interesting and just something for us to keep in the back of our minds, because if it was that compelling, perhaps they would have moved on it sooner. But to your point, all this time passed and then the evidence, as it was described, sort of seemed to change. Now, we're taking your word for that because we haven't got there in the case yet, but that's fair. And I see a little bit of of chat about that um, in YouTube right now. Um, That's a fair thing to keep in mind. You know, this idea of like, wow, that's really bad timing. That is also often why I think people end up in prison, um, because the timing looks right. bad. So that's alone is enough. Um, I don't like I'm, I am I know Robert's family's probably listening to this. Please know from the bottom of my heart, I was friends with these guys. I did some shitty things as a teenager, pardon my French, but um, I do not like his behavior in this. I think I could I could go off on a whole thing about friends of mine who were Catholic who expressly would be wanting to cheat on their boyfriend or girlfriend and would go to church thinking somehow that balanced it out because Mm -hmm. they did have guilty feelings about the things they were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Not just Catholic. I, you know, lots of lots of that going on in in my friendships. You do a lot of stupid stuff when you're a teen. It's just a question of how far that stupid stuff goes and how you could possibly recover if you're a pretty good kid making some bad choices like does that take you all the way to um executing three people i'm very on the fence about that but i think it's naive to not acknowledge why that's raising flags for people and you know we have mm-hmm. been we have been acknowledging that and and you know we're continuing to dig into it 
Um, but yeah, I think he totally wanted to hook up with her. I think he didn't want it to get back to Sarah. I have no idea if he also hooked up with other people when he was with Sarah. I, I, I have no idea. Again, we're teenagers. I'm not super proud of some of the stuff I did when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely not. Yeah. yeah. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, Okay. Uh, So moving into the Sam interview, Kristen said, I thought Sam sounded genuine and could remember details because of the big sis party. Did you find him to be truthful? Yeah. I mean, he's got no reason to lie and, and risk his reputation or anything like that. His memory of the night seems to be pretty consistent. I've gone back and listened to his police interview, which is pretty short. And and it's pretty, I mean, the way he describes it is the way, you know, the cops try to play that game. Like, well, your car was seen up there. And and he's almost, he's kind of laughs at him. He's like, that's bullshit. There's no way my car was seen up there. I know where my car was. And I was all the way in San Diego at the time. Sure. Um, so, So, yeah, everything you told me sounds, sounds accurate. It's certainly... I, you know, I, I think he, he definitely didn't get the impression from the phone call that they had, which would have been right as him and Christian were, had a car packed full of guns and were heading up to Becky's house to murder her whole family. He's it, it's the conversation was pretty nonchalant to him. Um, if that's what was going on. Yeah. Ruth says in reference to turning the cell phones off addressed in Sam's interview in the before times. Love that reference. In the before times, this was so true with roaming. Also, if you're going to go in and out of roaming, it wouldn't be worth the cost of accidentally answering a call. So I'd turn mine off to avoid that charge. I'd also shut off my phone when I'd get close to going over my minutes and check my voicemail from a landline or use a friend's phone with mobile to mobile minutes. So appreciate Ruth's post. So appreciate her Mm -hmm. reminding us Mm -hmm. all. What was up then? As I've said, I in my mind, I'm like, didn't I already have? Didn't I always have this exact iPhone? Um, I have a terrible memory for that kind of thing. And everything she said here totally triggered memories of my own. Of oh yeah, I absolutely wouldn't take the chance that I would have gone into roaming without realizing it, and all of that stuff. So I thought this was a great post to kind of put it in context of the time. Yeah, it was such a different time back then. You know, is even just. When you'd answer calls, you were always, your your minutes and everything was always on your mind. You know that you weren't going to go over, or that you were at the you know the night and weekend time or whatever. It was just a very different time for cell phones. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about in Sam's interview is he talks about they are questioning him and saying his truck was there, and then you asked if they said, "Oh, is it the truck that ran off the the red truck that ran the the fire truck off the road?" Uh-huh. And he said, "No, they never said that. They just said my truck was there." Right at the scene. And I wonder yeah. if that alludes to any. Of, a, of another vehicle being there that could resemble his truck. I haven't seen anything in the police file that indicates that there was another vehicle other than the red truck. Okay. It seemed to me that they were just playing, they were playing the same game they were playing with Javier. Like, well, why if would I people have said. I told you your vehicle, yeah. Yeah. What if I told you someone up there said they saw your vehicle up there? Well, if they didn't see a vehicle, how did they lead to him? Just the phone calls? Yeah, it was just the phone calls during that time. Because again, you 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 look at so if these guys are supposed to be the killers and mm-hmm. at seven o'clock they're heading up there again with guns multiple guns packed in their vehicles to go do this 
you know, in the midst of that, they're talking to this guy. He must be involved. Right. And like, no, I was at college and talking to him about nonsense. Seems pretty crazy to me. Now, how did, how did Sam's interview come about? I mean, did you reach out to him? Did he reach out to you? Uh, he reached out to me. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. He heard that. He heard the podcast and he heard the podcast where I had said, um, Andrew Geyer on the phone or Geyer. Mm-hmm. And he reached out and said, Hey, just so you know, that was me. I, I, it's, it, I'm Sam Geyer. That was my dad is Andrew. And that was me. And so I got him on. I recorded that interview a few weeks ago. That's great. I, you know, I really appreciate that because I feel like those little tidbits really help move the case along when someone can reach out that knows yeah. inside, you know, we had that, we had that happen in the Jamie Snow case where somebody reached out about the stolen vehicle. Had nothing to do with the Jamie S- Snow solved case. The, solved the stolen vehicle case from years before. But I think we can definitely pick things up with people kind of reaching yeah. out from that area. And that's a big part of why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. I'm going to pause here just for a second, not off the, not for the podcast, but just um, May and YouTube. Listen, you've said a thousand times that, that the docs should have known that Robert lied. We've heard it. If you're going to continue blasting that all over the YouTube chat, we're going to remove you. Now we can go. Okay. Um, Jason, oh, and I will say, just for the sake of being um, even-handed about it, I'm sure there are people who heard Sam's interview and thought, yeah, but he's their best. He's one of their best friends. Of course, they're, he's going to defend them. Of course, he's going to support them. Sure. I'm not saying that I feel that way, but I think let's, you know, probably there's not going to be anything super damning or revealing that comes from a friend who, you know, absolutely feels that these guys were falsely convicted. Or if he does know something is probably not going to tell you after I reached out to you. Um, but I thought it was a super helpful interview. Uh, Jason does want to know, um, did you ask Sam who Becky cheated with on Rotwave? Yeah, that's a tough sentence, but I it makes sense. I just said it. Yeah. Did you ask Sam ask who him? Becky cheated with on Robert is the sentence? I didn't because I, I don't, I, I'm not even sure it happened. You know, it, 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 whatever, you know, he says came from Robert. So So we've got, why they broke up. You've got one of her friends saying it was because she smoked and Robert didn't like that. And then you've got Javier saying it had to do with this pregnancy that happened. And then you've got Robert saying she cheated on him. And I just don't know, you know, I, I don't know what's true and what's not true or if it's something completely different than all that. Um, so I just don't, I, I don't see any more reason to continue digging into that when we, we just, it's it's just a ton of rumors that just keep coming up over and over again, right. and none of them are consistent. Right. Fair enough. Lauren says, how many interviews have you conducted for this case so far? It was so nice to hear a recent one. Um, Probably a dozen or more. A lot of them I've interviewed a lot of, you know, in the, in the couple trips I've taken out there, I've interviewed um, a lot of the family members. I've interviewed Christian's attorney. Um, you've heard, uh, Tim Summerlee and Carissa Farley. I think there's, there's more, there's, there's, there's more coming, more, more interviews like that. I've interviewed, uh, Jim Ellis's daughter, who was the friend that was very close friends with Claire and Janelle. Uh, and then she led me to, I think it was Janelle. I, I don't remember which one it was, but, uh, kind of when I got there, she was like, I'm not interested in being interviewed, which is, you know, basically she said, you know, I heard from my dad, I told Claire and then. From there, all this stuff happened, and then when I tried to talk to them, they said they didn't want to be interviewed. But yeah. there's there's been a lot of them, and you'll hear more of them as we come along. But you know, the, like the family interviews we're talking about, like their how things. And I thought about playing them at the beginning, but I decided to wait on it because I don't either. There's they're 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 hard to listen to. Robert and Christian's mom, 
and mm. their uncle and their wives talking about, you know, what this, you know, what they went through during the arrest and all that stuff. So I didn't want to like play those and like try to, you know, bring up all this sympathy for them right when we don't know what happened yet. So I, yeah. I held those. You'll hear them eventually. Yeah. And for any of us who have known anyone who's put together a podcast or a documentary or even a fictional story, the amount of work you have to do trying to figure out what order to do stuff in is so intimidating to me. I don't envy your position, Bob, because every season, I mean, anybody I know who is working with this much material is like, okay, here's the 80 different ways I could roll this out. What am I going to do? So, uh, yeah. And then it happens every week, every week. It's like, so what subject, even more complex, what subject am I going to cover this week? And with such a massive case file that it just, that, that just, you know, splits off into a million different directions all the time. And you'd like to be able to go from here to here, you know, in a very linear way from here to here to here, and then get to an end point. But it's like, okay, from here to here, but we can't lose track of this. So we need to follow that. We need to see what happens next there. And this guy in his interview mentioned this guy, so we should probably talk to him, but I don't want to lose track of where we're going with him. It, yeah. yeah, it's it's tricky. So we just so so just so you guys know that that's it, it's not it's not as easy as you might think it is <laughs> trying to figure out where to go yeah. with every episode every week. It's that's so intimidating. Okay. Jennifer says, um, from Javi's episode, there was a mention, and this is what you brought up earlier, Bob. There was a mention of Becky's mom playing a computer game. Could it have been online gambling? Still trying to follow the money. Sorry if this was answered elsewhere. That was a really good question. My initial thought to that was like, no, this was 2006. Then I remembered, wait a minute, like online poker. I, in 2005, I used to play a ton of online poker with real money. So I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that's the case, but it's something to think about. I have no, we have no indication that she was a gambler or that she did that, but I know for a fact that was a thing. I remember I used to play full tilt poker back in 2000. I was playing, sitting, I remember my son was born in 2005, and I remember sitting in the hospital like during the day of recovery after he was born, just sitting with my wife with my laptop sitting there playing poker online while we were just sitting around. So it was definitely a thing back then. Yeah. Um, Well, maybe something will turn up with that. Lynn says, was there a marijuana grow site within walking distance of the Friedley's home? Did they possibly help themselves do it, setting up a scene for revenge? So I, I don't know. No one has pointed out to me, and I haven't seen anywhere in the files where, yes, in this location at this address, there was a marijuana grow site. However, in talking to Tim and talking to Carissa uh, and other people familiar with the area, there was a it was a place where there were lots of marijuana grows up in P- Pinion Pines. People would go up there. I think we even heard Carissa say, you mm-hmm. know, some people were up here because they just like the peace and quiet. Some people are up here because they're growing marijuana. Some, you know, they're or they're cooking meth. So they're they're. It seems like there for sure were some mar- marijuana grows happening up there, and it's it's a possibility. And and that's one of the one of the. And Zach mentioned earlier the one listener that had all the list of victimology yeah. factors, and one of them was you know the fact that Becky only worked two days a week. She had, from what we heard from se- several of her friends, a daily marijuana habit. Uh, we heard from, I think it was, was it Javier that said that she was the one that would always buy the weed? Mm-hmm. Um, well, for him, where. I'm not sure. I'm not sure she said she was everyone's person. I I, I remember him for saying him, yeah, she but smoked between every them, day that, and that she was who he got. So she's the one that had the contact with the dealers that was buying the marijuana. So that, you know, that, that that's a risk factor. She's coming into contact just, just by buying marijuana. 
She's coming into contact with criminals because that was illegal mm-hmm. at the time. And there's a money issue. So the, the possible grow, I, I don't know. The, it, 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 I'll say this. It opens the door to a lot of possibilities. I would also say um, of all of the things you hope a cop is not going to chase down uh, on you, it's uh, pot dealers back then. I, yeah. I I don't mean to be I don't I'm not saying Javi would would do this super intentionally. But if it's an easy lie to say I got it from the person you can't ask anything of anymore because she's gone. Right. I then do not have to tell you anything about any dealers I might know. So that's a pretty easy lie to imagine a teenager telling a cop he may have gotten his pot on his own but he does yeah. not want to have to go well let me just call this guy who's doing this illegal thing who might then want to yeah. harm me for outing right. him as a dealer right but that but that right there is is what makes me think like this could be a more significant risk factor that the fact that yeah of course you wouldn't want to give up a drug dealer because maybe they would harm you if you did that and she was dealing according to her friends was dealing with drug dealers so that's it's just something to think about. But I mean, yeah. breaking down uh, that's obviously a, a huge risk factor. But breaking down some of these other risks that Kristen put together, I mean, there there's, in my opinion, there's definitely bigger risks on there than that. Yeah. Uh, Caroline says, "Do we have Robert's text logs for Sunday in the case stock files? Uh, it shows text message times from Robert to Becky. Would be interesting to see what text messages we are missing for Sunday that Robert made that could fill in his timeline." Uh, no, so remember, we don't have Robert's text logs. So the only the only texts we have for Robert are from Becky's records. So Becky's records show when she made it was sent or received a text from Robert, but we for some reason we don't have Robert's text records. That was the big deal with the whole text from Marty about getting chapstick. Uh, we don't know if that happened because the text records aren't included. And I still feel that 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 right there is what could blow this case wide open. Is if you know, we're dealing with this incredibly tight timeline with the drive test and stuff. I, I don't remember if we have a lot of questions about the drive tests. Not a ton. I, I guess I should get into I don't remember any questions about that, so I'll get into that. I was going to say, qu- actually, I don't think we have any. Yeah, real, real quick. You know, I, I put a lot of weight into Andrew Nielsen's drive test. He's the listener that's a retired sheriff that, that did it. He, he sent me the video. I posted the video on my YouTube channel, on the, on the Truth and Justice YouTube channel, so you can watch it. There's no question. He made that drive in about 30, just under 36 minutes. Now, he went a different route than the state proposes that Robert and Christian went. He, you know, he gets into town and heads out to I-10 and then takes the freeway around instead of driving up 111 uh, to Cathedral City that way. And he was able to make that drive in 36 minutes, which we all know. I'm not going to get into, again, all the reasons why everything has to be absolutely perfect for for that time to work. But he gets there within the amount of time. I don't buy Bodmer's test at all. I and and maybe Andrew or somebody can do this drive test from the country club to what was the I said in the episode was it Bob Hope and and one eleven I think that sounds right yeah mm-hmm. that he says he made like he says he made that drive in five minutes like every time I came down the mountain I went that way and like there's no way that was five minutes how, how much ground do you have to cover right there. I don't know the I don't know the mileage, but it's a ways. Like when you cross the country, like you're still up on the mountain. You okay. still got to come all the way down the mountain, go through a light, and then come to another light at 111, which is Monterey. There, hang a left, go through several more lights, all the way up around north, all the way up to Baba. It's a ways. Like I said, uh, I looked at Apple Maps, and it showed. And I tried. So you know, Apple Maps will will factor in traffic. Mm-hmm. I think when they do. So like I waited until. 
like 9:45 p.m. on a, on on that Sunday night when I plugged that in and it showed like like nine and a half minutes or ten minutes to make that drive. And so for him to say he made it in five is yeah is bananas to me. But Andrews is makes it possible. I I do believe there's no there's no reason to question to question his. But then the other thing is why did they go to Christians at all? You know, if Christians just dropping Robert off, they would drive all the way past Robert's house, get up to Christian's house where Robert checks his voicemail, and then turn right around and take Robert home and drop him off at home when he gets on the phone. Like it, it seems yeah. like a like what's the theory of why they went to the house anyway? The only theory that makes sense to me is is maybe knowing Christian's parents wouldn't be home and they they needed to discard clothing, discard something. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But I, that's, I mean, I feel like now I'm just putting things out there. That yeah, because we really, don't know that they we, weren't home. We know for a fact, I know for a fact his mom was home. Okay. She told me. But I, you said a theory, and I'm just trying yeah. to put a theory out there. Or even but just. But I feel like a, it is yeah. a stretch. Or even just a sort of general, like, oh my God, we did this. I can't, I can't, I d- don't keep driving. I, d- I can't get out of the car right now. We need to figure out a plan. We need to talk about this. I'm not saying, but if you're, ex- if but, you're just but trying in to the middle come of up that. with something. And then he's in the like, middle of that, let check me your voicemail. Call my voicemail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, let me just check my voicemail no, real I know. quick, and then, I know. Uh, and then call my girlfriend. And uh, I know. oh, I, oh I I need, know. we need to go back down to the gas station and go get some uh, chapstick. Totally, totally. I'm just yeah. trying to imagine the cop, what a cop, you know, what somebody who wants him to be the suspect or them to be the suspects could say, like, well, easy, they're freaking out about what they did, so they stay together in the car, trying to come up with what they're going to do, and so nothing seems to make sense because they're doing all kinds of stuff. I don't subscribe to that, but again, I'm just trying to think of some 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 way of explaining that 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 helps the case. Uh, I want to address real quick. Somebody in the chat here said that you can't grow marijuana outside in the desert. Uh, it's not true because I saw oh, the grow operations that are there. going on now. Huge like there's marijuana plants yeah. everywhere. Yeah, out there in the desert, in that it, like literally next door to the crime scene. And by the way, still very much illegal, not approved by the government. Even though you can grow pot in California, there are still plenty of places who are doing it illegally who will happily shoot you. <laughs> like you would think that that would sort of have gone away since you can yeah. do that in California. It has not. There are absolutely still cartels growing of- in in parts of the California desert who you do not want to accidentally stumble into that territory. Yeah, I actually talked to someone that was growing up there about their grow. Cuz cuz I said it's just desert and he's like, "No, you just build up these flower boxes and and bring in soil and they and you know, they were like <laughs> they showed me their plants outside, so it for sure can be done." Um, okay. Uh, sorry. Ed, Ed says, uh, what was the earliest report of the fire? I have seen court filings and opinions that neighbors reported it at 940, but no source documents. I haven't seen source documents for that either. The closest thing to 940 is if they took that from the fire captain's testimony, who just estimated that it was 940, nine, somewhere around there when they got the first phone calls. But that's all... You know, the, the there's no dispatch log of that. He just says that people called the station, said three phone calls came in, they got in the truck, they took off, and they were already driving down the road when the dispatch happened, which I believe happened at nine or nine fifty three is when the dispatch came in. But we don't have a solid time for when that happened because he's just saying, yeah, it was I think nine forty when the phone was ringing. 
as someone who's lived in the firehouse and has taken those calls, I mean, you're not looking at the clock and documenting the exact time when you, when you get a call like that. Right. I saw, I know there was a question earlier about, um, uh, was it Valeria that asking about how, would it be likely as a teenager for you to have multiple uh, sources to get your weed? And I too, am ashamed to say, just like Sarah, the short answer is yes. It's very normal. Yeah. (laughs) It's so normal (laughs) to be like, I couldn't have been less concerned, could not have been less concerned with who heard I was looking for pot. Like did not, my, my dad was a teacher at my high school and I still would be like, if anybody has some pot, they want to sell me. Like was I was an idiot. Uh, and I was a goody two shoes and didn't. I've I've never bought pot in my life except for once from a dispensary. All right, well, made, I'm made, somewhere in between. So yeah, <laughs> and it made me sick and I didn't like it. Uh, okay, uh, baby. Okay, and now um, Teresa says, "Gentle reminder: What is the status of the phone records? You may have more than what we've seen, and will we get a chance to see those?" Here's the trick about the phone record. One, I did check, and I'm glad that she brought that up because um, I said that it, last week that I thought that Javier was talking on the phone with Becky at the time she got the call from Robert. Um, I went back and verified that is completely wrong. She was definitely not talking to Javier during that time on the phone, um, so I was wrong about that. And so it is possible, and I'd say maybe even likely that she was with him um, because she was using her cell phone, which meant she wasn't at home. She was down in the valley somewhere. Um, so I have no reason to not believe what he said that he was sitting there when Robert called at one thirty that morning. Okay. Uh, so, but the thing with the phone, I can't post the phone because the phone records are just a bunch of phone numbers and I can't post the phone numbers. So all I can do is either like redact them all, which was useless right. or spend weeks going through and tracing down and recreating a document like I did for the day of. Where I've you know replaced the numbers with the names of the people of who they are, um, which you know took me weeks just to do that day uh, to right. go through and do all that. So at some point maybe we'll you know we'll I'll I'll do that and we'll get a better call history. Um, but I've been through them and have brought out you know anything that that we see as being relevant. Um, and next week after I get back from assignment, I've got some more we're going to dig into based on an interview you're going to hear after that. Well, if you weren't going out on assignment so much, I am totally kidding. I disagree <laughs> with anyone who feels like you've gone too much. There have been so many extenuating circumstances. I tease. Uh, Valeria says, can you remind us of what dates you have phone records for? For each individual member or number, um, can a list be uploaded to files for episode 12? That's a more, little bit more specific, honing in a little bit more, but does the same answer apply? Yeah, I mean, we have, but we don't have a lot of records. We have... I'm trying to remember. It's like Becky's are from like, there's like two weeks of record. There's about two weeks for everybody. Nobody has even a full month of phone records. All right. Was that the question? Yes. Uh, We'll we'll keep working on the phone records, I guess, is the sort of general answer. Kristen says, will we be hearing Jacob's interview soon? Yes. As a matter of fact, that's a good spot to close on because... Uh, that is the, so as we said, this week coming up is going to be the truth and just us with just, uh, Janet and Zach sans Bob, uh, where they're going to have, uh, Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott on to, um, address the, uh, or to analyze Javier's interview. And then they'll be doing the follow-up when I get back next week. Uh, the next interview you're going to hear is Jacob's full interview, which is super interesting, I think. So you guys will be hearing that next Sunday. 
uh, after I get back. So that's all coming up. It'll be a fun week. You guys uh, don't screw it up, okay? Try our best. No <laughs> promises. <laughs> thanks, everybody, for all your great questions. Yep. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink, and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by me, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnik, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. Do I get to say ahoy yet? No? No! (laughs) You can't say ahoy or hello, friends. I'm just waiting for you to stop talking. Or hello, everybody. This is Truth and Justice. We finally heard the 30,000-foot view of the case. Finally seems strong. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry, Kelly. Sorry, Kelly. Sorry, Kelly. We had a lot of information in this episode. We heard the 30,000... No, I was trying not to say finally, and I fucked it up. Ooh, this is a bad one. And I didn't introduce you guys. Oh, that's okay. (laughs) Bodmer. 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 I swear you said Bodmer. Bodmer. Bodmer.
Bodmer. Bodmer. Bodmer. Do you want me to try to take that last part again? No, I don't I don't think that's going to make it better. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> that was a fucking nightmare. Well, I'm glad that was over. I'll accept that.